Very good morning to you. It's lovely to see you. Uh, I'm going to talk. My name's Neil. If you don't know me, uh, if you're new here or you're visiting, you're very, very welcome. It's great to see you. Uh, do connect with the lovely Helen who is sitting at the back there. We'd love to connect with you if, uh, to help you find a way to being part of a body of Christ. Maybe this one, maybe another. It doesn't really matter, but we'd love to help connect you. So do talk to Helen and um, we'd love to get in touch with you and keep in touch with you. Uh, if you don't know, I lead uh, the church here with uh, my wonderful wife, Kate, um, as best we possibly can, trying to just stick our hand in the Lord's and be as obedient and as faithful as we possibly can. Over the past few weeks and months, if you've been around at all, you'll know that we've been doing a series on justice. We recently started a, a conversation on women and justice, and before that we did uh, something on justice for the refugee and the migrants. Uh, before that, we looked at justice and uh, creation. We looked at uh, issues like the environment and climate change. And then during Lent, I think it was, uh, we did a series looking at the overarching themes of justice uh, throughout the kind of, through the whole narrative arc of the scriptures. It was a whistle-stop tour of uh, the whole Bible. We started with the creation account in Genesis, and then we moved on to the Exodus narrative and the themes of freedom and justice uh, in there, and then we went right through to the life of Jesus and the crucifixion and the cross and the resurrection, and then onto the life of the community um, of the church. And in the run-up to summer, we uh, sense we felt it might be helpful just to unpack a little bit more about why we're talking about justice and why we think it matters. And the short answer, I guess, as we slowly but surely begin to emerge from lockdown and the, the impact, the implications of COVID, um, when we started to gather again uh, as a church, just coming up for a year ago now, as Kate and I were seeking the Lord for what he was calling us into as a church in the next season, a very clear sense was that we were to give at least a year to the issues of justice that run so close to God's heart. For I, the Lord, love justice. It is a thread. It runs all the way through uh, the scriptures. And we've talked about this before. We've kind of um, attempted to unpack why it is we're talking about justice in the, way that, um, in the way that we have. But as you will have noticed, as I said last week, in what seems to be our new post-COVID reality, not everyone is able to be here uh, every week. And so it can be really easy to miss so many of the themes and the threads that we're talking about um, because not everyone's here every week. And, while we're on that subject, um, as gently and as graciously as I possibly can, um, which is warning, <laughs> brace, brace yourselves. You know, um, being here, um, and I mean, when I say that, I mean being here in person, like the physical bit of you being here, um, it really, really does matter, you know? Um, not because of numbers, not because of bums on seats, not because then we can just say, oh, isn't church great? Look at all the people that come to church. 
I'll be doing a marvellous job. Um, but because it's by being here, whatever you think about the good and the bad of church, you know, and there's all kinds of good and there's all kinds of bad, but wherever you think about all of those things, being here, being part of the church, being part of the family is a foundational part of what it means, we believe, to be a Christian. Uh, for so long, uh, so many of us have been grieving and were telling everybody how much we were grieving our, in our inability to gather together as the church in COVID and in lockdown. It's like, oh, it's terrible. We can't meet together as the church. We can't meet together as the church. When are we going to meet together as the church? And now we can meet together as the church. Now we're no longer in lockdown. Now we can worship and minister and do all the things the church does, you know, sometimes well and sometimes badly. And for some reason, some of us have clearly found a number of better things to do on a Sunday morning. Now, don't get me wrong, um, they're all probably really, really good things. Okay, so I'm not knocking them or you or anybody at all. I think it would be remiss of me and of us not to bring this to our attention. And you might say, well, why haven't we said something before? And it's like we haven't said something, we haven't said too much before because I think we really wanted to give everybody space to process and recover from the trauma of the past couple of years. We recognize, you know, we've all been through it, um, that it's been a really, really tra traumatic and difficult time. Uh, but that said, I think we feel like it's time that we talk about this and address the sort of elephant that isn't in the room most weeks. Um, and so <laughs> you'll be glad to know, once I've finished this mini-series on why justice over the summer, maybe we'll dig into something like, I don't know, why church or something, I don't know, like that. Uh, for now, um, it's really important you hear this in the intention and spirit in which it's intended. It's not our job to berate or reprimand anybody for what they choose to do on a Sunday morning. Okay, um, we're all grown-ups, we're all grown-up, we all make our own choices. Clearly, none of this applies to any of you amazing people. It's all the other people that we're talking to, right? So you're all safe, right? But it really does matter, you know, and, and, and maybe this is helpful. Um, this has got nothing to do with my talk, by the way. Uh, think, of it, think of it like this. Being together as the church here on a Sunday is like the times your family, whatever your family configuration looks like these days. Um, you know, imagine back when it worked well or when you were a child or when you had kids or if you don't have kids, whatever, right? But imagine this idea of a, of a family coming together to sit down for, sit down together for Sunday lunch uh, or, I don't know, evening meals or maybe just uh, washing up together. You know, even back in the days, you remember when people used to wash up before they just load, or loading the dishwasher, right? Um, but, you know, even when you're doing that alongside your slightly annoying siblings, you know, your, your younger brothers or older brothers there and they're not really doing their, putting their weight or whatever, and you're kind of like, oh, it's always not to me or whatever. So even when it's like a little bit annoying, uh, Sundays for us are just like the usual stuff of family life together. And the reality of it, like the stuff of family, um, most of the time it's pretty mundane. Most often it's pretty ordinary. But 
something extraordinary happens in, in a family, in, in those moments of togetherness, when you're around the dining table or you're around the kitchen sink or you're sat together in the garden on a summer's evening, even if you're arguing, something happens in that moment and that's the point at which you become family. Not just because you're related, you actually become family in and through those moments. And, you know, if we're all living under the same roof, but we're not eating together, we're not doing stuff together, but we're instead we're just sat in our own rooms doing our own thing, slowly but surely, and some of you will have experienced this when you've had, teen if you've had teenagers, um, what happens is slowly but surely the fabric of family is going to get eroded. Uh, and for some reason, and we don't quite know how it happened uh, or, or when or why, but we suddenly start to feel less a part of the family. We start to feel less connected for some reason. Sometimes the remedy for that is just to come downstairs and do the washing up with everyone else or just sit down with all those annoying relations of yours and just eat supper together. Oftentimes, the remedy for the feelings of disconnect is just showing up. And so, in the nicest way possible, um, and hopefully we'll all be friends at the end of this, not for my, hopefully, not, hopefully not for my benefit, um, but perhaps to attempt to stem the tide of disconnection, the, the, the fragmentation. Uh, it's time for all those of us who make up this family, this church family, to start showing up again. Uh, and what I mean by that isn't once a month. Uh, this Christianity stuff, this Christianity malarkey, uh, it's actually, just make one's a great surprise to you, it's actually like an everyday thing. You know, who knew? Uh, and we're not asking like every day. We're not asking to gather in the temple courts every day. You'll be glad to know. We're just saying once a week. Let's gather as the body of Christ once a week. To think that will do it. Because um, it's like a whole host of things that we do as Christians, as followers of Jesus. I, if you've been around the church, if you've been around Jesus for you know, 15 minutes or so, and there's a mystery to so much of this thing called faith. So much of it is mysterious. Sort of makes absolutely no sense in so many ways, on so many levels. Just being here on a Sunday, just being the church in the flesh, as it were, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, has, there is a profound mystery that comes with it. There's a profound mystery about all of this. This thing, this being together, is a, is a foundational part of our worship. And um, you'll have heard me quote Eugene Peterson ad nauseam, um, but I'm going to do it again. This gathering together is part of our worship, whereby we, you can probably recite this, we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and instead attend to the presence of the Almighty. That's what we do. We interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and we attend to the presence of the Almighty. This gathering, this coming together, this worship, this thing called Sunday morning church. Eugene Peterson goes on and says, is the time and the place that we assign to deliberate attentiveness to God, not because he's confined to time and place, 
but because our self-importance is so insidiously relentless that if we don't deliberately interrupt ourselves regularly, we have no chance of attending to him at all at other times in other places. And so this uh, is not a rebuke, it's not a correction, it's an invitation. Uh, it's an invitation to us all, whether we're here for the first time since lockdown or have only managed to get here you know, for one week out of four, uh, or just, you're, perhaps you're just listening on the podcast and you've decided that that's the way you're going to do church. You're going to do church in your garden, listening to the podcasts. Um, this invitation is uh, intended so that we can interrupt ourselves, interrupt whatever has become our new Sunday routine. You know, those things, and they're probably all really good things that have become our new habits. And instead, with and alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's gather together and attend to the presence of God. Um, please don't feel God at. Uh, please hear this as nothing else and nothing other than, I believe, an invitation from the Spirit of God uh, to all of us to come, let us return unto the Lord. Uh, take a stand. Uh, I, I, take a stand against what I believe is the spirit of the age, uh, which I believe is, uh, you may not believe this, but I think I believe this, I believe is uh, making hay off the back of the pandemic and is quite literally pulling churches apart. Uh, and the intention, I think, behind that is to isolate Christians and in the process to undermine our faith. I've had conversations with so many people you would recognize and know and love who in the last two years aren't sure what they think about faith anymore. One of the fundamental reasons for that is that they've lost the habit of being in a community of faith. Um, this isn't, in all seriousness, this isn't a time to be passive. I do believe there is a spirit at large and you know me well enough by now hopefully to know that I don't say that kind of thing lightly. But I think there is a spirit at large that is seeking to fragment and separate the body of Christ, uh, the church. And as followers of Jesus, whether we feel like it or not, I think this is time for us to pay heed to things like 1 Corinthians 16, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and strong. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8, to be alert and of sober mind for your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Hebrews 10:23. let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We really do need to stand. Um, and as it says in Hebrews, not just look to ourselves, but let's find ways to look to the other. Let's wait, find ways to encourage one another. So look out for those you maybe know and maybe you haven't seen for a while and say to them and reach out to them and, and encourage them to join uh, back and get back on track. Is that okay? We're still friends? Wasn't part of the original plan. Um, but I, as I was kind of prepping for this morning, I, the, Lord's, the Lord's put this whole thing on our heart pretty heavily uh, this week, and so um, you're so lucky you get two talks of the price and one. Double the blessing. Um, meanwhile, running out of time, uh, back to justice. 
and the talk I was supposed to be giving, um, which, if nothing else, was an attempt to remind us, the talk I'm supposed to be giving is nothing else other than an attempt to remind us of, of why it is that we're looking at justice week in, week out, uh, and why uh, justice matters not only to God, as reflected in the scriptures, but why also we believe should matter to us as followers of Jesus and as the church. And so we'll spend the next couple of weeks digging around the scriptures and seeing what we uh, come up with. Last week, we got slightly interrupted by a fire drill. See, this is why you have to be at church every week. I mean, just the fire drill. You could miss the fire drill. And then it's like it only happens once every five years. Um, the, high, the fire drill was a highlight. Uh, this week, my talk has been hijacked, I think, possibly, hopefully, by the, uh, the invitation of the Spirit of God. Uh, but I'm going to attempt to finish off last week's talk. Um, but don't worry, you'll still get home in time for lunch. Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Micah. Um, while we're talking about important things, Bibles. Um, Bibles important things. Very good to have uh, on your person. Very good to carry around uh, with you in some form or another. I'm not expecting you to be like wheeling around the family Bible on a trolley, uh, but good uh, to read and read and read again and keep reading. Uh, good to grapple with, good for teaching, good for rebuking and correcting, good for training in righteousness, uh, good for equipping the saints for works of service. Good, 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 good. Bible, good. This is our plumb line. This is our yardstick. It's our gold standard. It is hugely challenging in parts. Like, let's not gloss over it. Some of this is really, really challenging, but... Our job is not to dismiss it because it's challenging. Our job is to wrestle with it and grapple with it uh, in and through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is uh, no less God-breathed because it's difficult. Uh, we need to be a people of the Word. Um, and given everything that's gone on over the last couple of years, now it is more imperative than ever that we are a people of the Word. So anyway, I digress again. Um, one of the most famous Bible verses about justice from the Old Testament is Micah chapter 6. We looked at this last week, so that's what we're carrying on from. And he writes this, He's told you, O human, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And it, it's kind of like a little poem. It was actually a song, you know. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Um, yeah, you don't recognize that, of course. Uh, and... I mean, you get everything here. I, I'll start dancing soon. Um, so, uh, so, like a poem, there are just three things. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And, and the Hebrew word uh, for justice here is mishpat. Mishpat. Now, last week we talked about Micah. We remember we were saying that like the Old Testament prophets, they get a bit of a bad rap. You know, we all think of them as kind of wizened chaps with long white beards and sort of bony fingers pointing accusingly at everybody. And there's an element of that. Um, but Micah is, is essentially railing against the corrupt leaders of the time and particularly the dodgy prophets who were, both of whom, were exploiting people and were responsible for all kinds of injustice that was going on. And the context of Micah as a whole, 
Uh, back when um, the Israelites crossed over into the land, I don't know if you remember, but um, Joshua divided up the land. And so the, all of the tribes got like a, an equal bit. Um, there was just one tribe. Do you remember the tribe that didn't get anything? Didn't get any land? Who was the tribe that didn't get any land? Yeah, Levites, right? The Levites didn't get any land. Why didn't they get any land? Because they're the priests, okay? So they didn't get any land, right? So Because they're the priests. Uh, they, they weren't to sort of work the land and farm the land. They were to go off and to look after kind of priestly things and, you know, worship and stuff like that, the important bits of that. Uh, and so what happened was the, the rest of the tribe said, okay, we'll, we'll give a portion of our produce and our income and all that to the priests, right? And so um, that's where the whole tithe thing comes in. And so they gave 10% to the priests, right? Don't worry, it's not a fundraising gig, you know, for the priests. Um, but while we're on it, you know, like, there you go. Um, again, I get distracted. See what happens. See, you could miss all of this. And um, so he divided the land up, right? And, and the point was um, that everyone was supposed to have their own piece of land, their own plot of land that they could work and they could cultivate and they could provide for themselves and their families and contribute to the blessing of the whole community. The, the design and the intention of it was that it was very fair, it was equitable, it was supposed to be just. Everybody had the opportunity to work and to contribute. But as time went by, as the kingdom era went on, as is so often the case, what happened was certain individuals uh, began to accumulate more resources, more land than, um, than the others. Uh, and often that was done through unfair means. And so what Micah is calling out is the fact that he's kind of discovered that there were people who were moving the boundary lines of land at night. You know, so I'd like, I'd, I've got a bit of a farm, you know, I've got a bit of land, and I'd go out at night, and I'd just lift up the fence and start moving it. And so you wake up in the morning, and you've got less land, and I'm like, well, there's the fence. It's always been like that, you see. And it's like, oh, I think my, I think my farm's getting smaller. No, 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 I'm sure you're just imagining it. And, and then there were other people who were kind of coercing or strongholding lower income, less successful landowners to, to give over their land, to sell their land. And it's like, oh, well, I'm kind of doing very well. You don't seem to be doing well. Let me buy some land off you. And it's like, I don't really want to give my land away. It's like, no, 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 I think you should do that. And in doing so, they ended up as bond servants or slaves, bond slaves or servants to those other landowners. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that doesn't sound very fair. Uh, or there were people who were rigging, you know, the classic thing, rigging the weights in the market, you know, and they're kind of like putting their finger on the, on the scales. And so they were selling stuff and trading stuff, but it wasn't quite right. And so they're ripping people off, usually uh, the poor. Essentially, there were all kinds of um, unjust practices that were going on. And Micah is not happy about it. And God is not happy about it. And God has said to Micah, Micah, tell these people that I'm really not happy about it. And Micah's famous words in, in, in Micah 6, verse 8, they come really at the point, it's the pinnacle of where Micah is accusing the elite and the leaders and the, uh, and the, the prophets of the nation. And what he's saying is, look, it's really simple, guys. This is what the Lord defines as good. This is what God says is good. Justice, mercy, humility. It's not rocket science. Justice mercy and humility. And it's interesting that he connects justice, this mishpat, with these ideas of mercy and uh, humility. Because often when we think about justice, 
uh, our, our brain, most of us, I think, our brain goes to courtrooms and, and barristers and judges and wigs and maybe supreme courts is the closest I'm getting to that one this morning. Um, we move to places of retributive justice. You're accused of doing something wrong, um, and so uh, a court, you're, you're hauled in front of the beak, I think they used to be called. Um, you're a court, uh, maybe a judge, jury, uh, will determine if you've actually done something wrong or not. And if you have, you need to put that right somehow, that could be through a fine, could be community service, could be a custodial sentence or something. That's most of the way we think about justice, is in this retributive kind of way. Um, but there's another kind of justice, often called restorative justice. And this is much more about, um, instead of just creating laws that are around, you've done this wrong, you've done this right, whatever, and you need to be punished if you break them. It's more around creating codes of conduct or ways of being that will probably be enforced at some point by some kind of law, but that embody a vision of what is right. And the question, I suppose, is what is Michael talking about when he says, do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly with your God? Is he, is he solely talking about retributive justice? Or is he talking about something broader, like restorative justice? In the Bible, the word used for justice here, mish, mishpat, kind of like nine times out of ten is used to describe a more restorative justice rather than a retributive justice. Mishpat, this idea of justice coupled with uh, mercy and humility is about creating a society whereby the most disadvantaged and the most vulnerable are supported and cared for. So the idea is that legislation, you know, the way that we operate, all of it is intentionally focused on the most vulnerable in the community. Of the 400 plus uses of the word uh, mishpat in the Old Testament, the vast majority are focused on these kinds of issues, which is why in the Bible justice is so often connected with mercy and love and humility. These are important things that go and sit together. And we, of course, use our word justice, you know, to translate mishpat, uh, but the risk and the danger is, is that mishpat is actually so much more than what happens in a courtroom, in a court of law. Mishpat, justice with mercy and humility, is all about looking out for people who are in situations that are very, very difficult, um, and looking out for uh, people who basically might not be in my situation. And so um, as uh, we respond to Micah's exhortation to, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God, what it means, I think, is that we're going to be looking out for those who are in difficult situations, intentionally looking out for those who are in a difficult and a sticky corner, and then working towards changing those situations. That's the idea of doing justice. And then as we act on their behalf, as we advocate for those groups or those people, or as we do good to them, 
and with them, for them. And that's loving mercy. And then as we uh, treat the other as more important than ourselves and see their problems as our problems, that's walking humbly. And while retributive justice might be about punishing wrongdoers through the standard application of justice, restorative justice is more about ensuring um, everyone in our community, in all of our communities, is treated fairly and are given an opportunity to flourish. Biblical scholars uh, talk about the quartet of the vulnerable, uh, the poor, uh, the foreigner residing within your borders, the orphan, and the widow. Zechariah, uh, chapter, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 says, This is what the Lord Almighty said, Administer true justice, showing mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. The, you know, these are the key words from Micah chapter 6, justice and mercy. So here you've got this Old Testament prophet, Micah, who's exposing the injustice that's going on in his community. And, um, you know, the whole point, you see, for the nation of Israel, the whole point was that they were, they were called to be a different kind of community among the nations. That was their brief. They were, they were supposed to live by different rules. They were supposed to do life differently so that they could become priests to the nations, an example, an exemplar of the kingdom of God, a shining light, a beacon of hope. That's what we've been called. That's the mantle that we've inherited and is on us as the church. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's who we are as the body of Christ. And... You know, in the Old Testament, the, the prophets are constantly zeroing in. They're constantly honing in on this stuff. They're, they're constantly calling Israel to account on these issues of justice. Now, not that we're Old Testament prophets. I don't have a beard. But it's essentially what we're trying to do here on Sunday mornings through this series on justice. You know, for the prophets, for us today, for the nation of Israel, for the church today, what does true justice look like? And as I said last week, that's really not an easy thing, right? Justice means all kinds of different things to different people, depending on your background and your politics and all sorts of things. And if you don't know what I was talking about, I'm talking about listen to last week's talk, because it's a challenge. And as we said, you know, there are as many different views on what justice actually is, as there are in this room. There will be people here this morning who will be delighted by the decisions of the Supreme Court, and there'll be people here today who will be absolutely outraged. And somehow, we have to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ whilst we hold very, very different views. And it's like, how do we do that? And what's, what is our position on those and other things? What does Mishpat look like? Well, I think it's where the poor and the widow and the orphan and the immigrant don't have to worry, essentially. Um, it's a community, a society, a culture where they don't have to worry about who's going to take advantage of them. 
That, I think, is what Micah in the Old Testament is getting at when he's talking about a just society. And in, in the Old Testament, the litmus test for mishpat, for justice, was whether people in those four groups are worried about who's going to take advantage of them tomorrow. Are they worried for their safety and their well-being? Because if they are, according to the prophets, that is not a just society. All um, these conditions, um, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner in our midst, they're all vulnerable conditions. The whole stability of the nation uh, at the time, it centered around family. You know, it was um, an agricultural kind of economy. It was uh, all centered around family, tribe, you know, the coming together of the people, the Sunday lunch, the evening meals, the washing up, Sunday morning worship or its equivalent. It all had to do with belonging and being part of a family. Did people belong? Who were the people who didn't belong? Who were the people not connected to family? Who were the people kind of on the outside of the family and society? And back then, it was the orphan, the widow, the refugee, and the poor. Back in ancient Israel, in that kind of community, these were the four groups that tended to fall through the cracks because they weren't connected to family in that way. They weren't connected to tribe. And each culture, each society has its own quartet of the vulnerable. We have our own quartet of the vulnerable. Uh, across southwest London, in our streets and our communities and our neighborhoods and our workplaces, who might they be? Who are, who are the quartet of the vulnerable today in 21st century London? The refugees, women, um, those struggling with their mental health, the elderly, children. I mean, the list could go on and on and on and on. As is not a quartet of the vulnerable, it's a quintuplet. It's not even a word. I don't even know how many that is. Five? What's six? Sextuplet? Octuplet? I don't know. Is a list. Who are the people who fall through the cracks in our society? And then what we do for those people, what we do for our quartet of the vulnerable is what the Bible calls mishpat. It's what Micah means when he says, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Treat other people's situations as if they are your responsibility. That's mishpat. And it, it permeates the whole arc of scripture. Uh, it, it's, it's important to God and that's why we're talking about it, and I think it's why it should be important to us as a church, because unless we're doing just justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God, unless we're doing mishpat, he has shown you, oh human, if we're not doing those things, we are therefore less than human. We're, we're less than that which God has called us to be. The biblical vision is for mishpat to be done to all, especially the quartet of the vulnerable, which is why, as a church, you know, we've opened things like the yard and we run things like food bank and are focusing our energies into refugees and uh, why we do Grow Baby and why we're trying to get Got Job Club back up on track and why we have a Ukrainian welcome on Tuesdays. There's so much more that we could be doing. It's just like a tip of an iceberg. It's like it's not even scratching the surface. It's why we've talked about, uh, on Sundays, things like the environment and welcoming the stranger and women 
so that we can advocate for those areas. However you feel or think those things were delivered, right? Whatever you agreed with or disagreed with, that doesn't really, that's not really the point. It's like we're creating a platform for those things to be spoken about and brought into the light and put onto the table so that we can think about it and talk about it and discuss it as a body of Christ, as a family, and see how we feel so that we can advocate for those areas. Because being a community that does mishpat is important to God and therefore we think it's important to us. And our dream would be that rather than just being a church that does those things, you know, when we used to run the King's Table, which was feeding the homeless up in London, I think we were one of the first churches, this wasn't under us, so it's not us picking us up, um, we were one of the first churches to provide a hot meal to the um, homeless guys on the embankment. And so a whole bunch of people used to cook food down here, and it was amazing. It got driven up every Sunday, and then it was served to the homeless, blah, blah, blah. Um, the trouble was that, you know, there, at one point there was like eight people on the team. There's like two, three hundred people in the church, and we'd be like, oh, yeah, we're a church that looks after the poor. I mean, I don't, but there are people I know who do. So that's, 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 I'm kind of, I'm looking after the poor, I'm compassionate, sort of vicariously through others, by osmosis or something, do you see? And, you know, our dream is that we wouldn't just be a church that does those things, and the rest of us don't engage with it at all and just go, oh yeah, it's great, I'm part of a church that does that. I mean, I wouldn't go anywhere near like the poor, like far too messy. Our dream would be that every single person who's part of this church is actively involved somehow and in some way with these areas of ministry uh, of the church and these ministries of the kingdom of God that serve our quartet of the vulnerable. And it may be that, you know, there are people and people groups that we're missing, I'm sure that's the case, uh, that you have a heart for. Well, we'd love to hear from you, and by all means, go and start something. We've always said that, you know, if there's an area of ministry that you don't think is happening, go and start it, fantastic. And, you know, we'll stop doing that, and we'll come and join you, and whatever you're doing, that's amazing. Let's just all get mobilized and get on and get on with the job doing mishpat. Let's not just sit back and wait until, oh, the church is pretty useless. It's not doing enough for this group or that group. It's like, go and do it. Go and start it. There's a woman in this church uh, called Maggie. She was not young. And she just decided that she wanted to go and serve women escaping domestic violence. And she served and served and served women escaping domestic violence for years and brought them to church and led them to Jesus and served them and loved them and gathered a small team around her. It's called the Olive Tree. It's a phenomenal ministry. There's another woman, Sue Steers, who decided she wanted to serve uh, prisoners in Wandsworth Prison. And so just went to John Nanny and said, I feel like we should serve, you know, why are we doing anything with prisoners? And John went, well, are you going to do it? She said, all right, I will. She did. For years and years, after Sunday, we'd go, get on a car and drive to Wandsworth Prison and lead a service for the, the Rule 47, the sexual offenders of, of Wandsworth Prison. It was one of the most challenging areas of ministry I've ever been involved in. It was wonderful. For years, there was a bunch of us, with the youth actually, who used to go to what was called, oh gosh, I can't remember what it was called. Um, it's now, I think it's now called the Royal Hospital for Neurodisability over on Putney Heath. It used to be called something terrible. Um, the Home for Incurables is what it used to be called. Uh, and we used to take the youth there on a Sunday morning. 
And that place is incredible. There'd be kids in their early 20s who one chap had been out on a drinking session in Birmingham and had jumped out the emergency exit of a double-decker bus and became a quadriplegic. And so he ended up here because it's one of the best hospitals in the country. But his family couldn't keep coming to visit him. And so didn't have anybody to visit. And so we used to go with the youth. Poor youth. I mean, it really shook their world because so many of these people were there just because of one momentary bit of madness. And we had Sarah Malam on the piano and we had all the youth praying for them and leading them in the Lord's Supper and stuff like that. Just, just, and Peter Gow, of course. Peter Gow used to come every. Do you remember Peter Gow used to come every? Yeah, Ronnie used to go and get him. Ronnie and uh, the other guys used to go over to the hospital and pick him up and then get him over here. Now Peter Gow ended up in. Uh, a, he had a, an asthma attack. He was a minister for church. Just one day had an asthma attack and ended up uh, paraplegic. And um, I'm just saying these are areas of things that we've done. And why are we not doing them anymore? Isn't it time for us to interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of the Almighty, serving our quartet of the vulnerable? Um, do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly with your God. Um, and all of this, justice, mercy, humility, all of it is perfectly exemplified, perfectly embodied in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Um, if you want to look and see why we should be doing this or how we should do this. Just look to Jesus. Uh, as the incarnation of the living God, Jesus more than anyone shows us what Mishpat looks like. He, he demonstrated it for us in the way that he ministered. Uh, he demonstrated it for us in the people that he ministered to. Remember? Uh, he, he ministered to the quartet of the vulnerable. It wasn't too hot on the Pharisees and the Sadducees but he ministered to the quartet of the vulnerable. Just read the Gospels. Jesus' encounters, his miracles, his teaching, his friendships were more often than not with and alongside the quartet of the vulnerable. Uh, and his ministry continues to this day. Um, now seated at the right hand of the Father in and through uh, the Holy Spirit, Jesus extends to us all, even us here this morning as the gathered body of Christ, an invitation to the ultimate restorative justice. You know, that no matter um, who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how broken you are, no matter how impossible your circumstances or your situation, we can come to him, we can lay it all at the foot of the cross, which is the ultimate symbol of restorative justice, and we can give him our lives, and maybe that's for the first time, and maybe that's for the thousandth time. Uh, and through his mercy and through his grace and through his kindness and his love, we can step into the fullness of his kingdom, rule and reign. I need to finish. Uh, we are now going to celebrate the Lord's Supper.